been taking my time I feel like I'm out of my mind It feel like my life ain't mine I've been on the low, I've been taking my time I feel like I'm out of my mind It feel like my life ain't mine Hey everyone, welcome back to Project Mania. These are LG and Bree, and today we have Karen Obar. So Karen uh, holds a very dear place in my heart because she worked in the same county that I worked in and she also holds a very dear space in Bree's heart because she was a part of her bachelorette party and we're going to hear all about that. Can't wait. Um, <laughs> however, what we're here to talk about is uh, Karen being a paramedic and ultimately retiring after five years. Uh, she was involved in a critical call uh, that not many of us get mm -hmm. and so um, what she was told after after the call is absolutely what we're going to dive into. And um, Karen, welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, um, Bree, go ahead. All right, Karen. So let's uh, talk about how did you end up in um, going into EMS in the medical field? So my family is uh, nurses, paramedics. My cousin's an EMT, or he's in the medic now, but firefighter, EMT. So it just kind of was in my family, and I went to nursing school with my mom. At that time, you could take your kids to school with you, so I was about six years old. And always trying to look at, like, the cadavers and all of her books, and she was always trying to hide it and give me coloring, and I would find <laughs> the books. And so I think I was just destined to get into the medical field, and I never really thought twice about not doing it. Mm. So that's so you started out at 18 years old. Can you talk about um, starting out at 18? So my high school had an ROP program for getting your firefighter one as well as your EMT. So I just thought it would be fun to take those classes and decided to do it. And so by the time I graduated, I was um, I had my EMT cert already. And then pretty much I had all my training for my firefighter one. I just had to do the six months. Uh, paid or it's a year volunteer to finish that one up. Um, so I ended up actually graduating and then starting to work for a little hospital there uh, as an ER tech at 18. And I was the youngest. I think I still am the youngest ER tech that they've ever hired. I don't know if it's good or a bad thing <laughs> for me. <laughs> well, knowing you, it's definitely a good thing. Definitely a good thing. So, you know, transition into now um, going into medical school, you know, advancing your, your career from EMT to paramedic. And that's where you met the lovely Brie. And so uh, explain that. Was Brie one of those mean girls that didn't talk to you in class? Or uh, what, what, tell yeah, give us a little lowdown on Brie. <laughs> So actually, I was intimidated by Bree because she had her little cohort of Kelseyville Fire, and here I was just at EMT with a BLS critical care transport company. Plus, I'm an introvert, so I would just sit by myself at breaks, and I think it took about a week, and Bree came and sat next to me and said, hey, you want to be friends or something really funny like that? And I mean, we were like older. I mean, we're, it's not like we were like kids. <laughs> it was funny. It was like my friend i'm like yeah, yeah can we trade yeah. things in our lunches or <laughs> so awesome. they adopted me and then we competed for top grades and yeah all that who, who won? i think brie did actually that's, not that's right that's and true. i currently teach so that's right you have to get yeah <laughs> okay be good in your studies g okay. so after paramedic school you started working in fresno 
as a as a medic, can you explain the system in Fresno for those who are unaware of that city? So as far as Fresno, besides Selma, which is part of Fresno County, um, you're the only paramedic. So there's no paramedics on the fire engine. So when you're running a call, it's everyone's at EMP and then usually you're the only medic on the call unless a supervisor shoots up at some point. And when would a supervisor show up? Um, they start, they go on codes or really high kind of profile calls. Um, but also it's not every code there was, as I was leaving, they started having the automatic CPR and only the, um, only the supervisors carried those. So they did start responding to every single code. But a lot of the times, you know, it was more like MCIs or um, just really high profile kind of calls like that. Yeah. Or their reports. No, and, I, and like I said, I know where you were because I worked there uh, for a little bit. And so I know where you were at as far as your station or what I mean, you were in, in the boonies kind of kind of thing. And so uh, talk about that. You know, you, you were a medic for three years until you had this incident, uh, this one a particular call. Um, were, you, were you comfortable with being a medic at that point? I mean, Fresno, Fresno is a very, very busy system. I mean, I attribute my... I, I hope I'm a good medic, but all the things that I've learned was from Fresno, uh, for sure. And so uh, talk about that a little bit. Talk about, were you comfortable at the point when I you was, ran that call? Yeah. And, um, you know, even I did my internship in Fresno also because I wanted to make sure that I could handle being a medic because earlier um, I had been told by a medic when I was around 18, 19, I could never make it as a medic. I was too nice. I didn't have the right personality. Go be a nurse, you know. And um, so when I did decide to become a medic, I wanted to make sure I could handle it. So I did choose to intern. And I had pretty much every single type of call during my internship. Um, And if it wasn't during my internship, it was during my, when I got rehired and had to do my five call. So I had, you know, peep codes, I had an MCI shooting, I've had, you know, MCI car accidents, I've, I had pretty much had every single type of call. So even if I did get kind of nervous on the way to a call, I'd be like, I've been through pretty much every scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had, I had a guy like who caught himself on fire and was running down the street and we had to chase him, you know, mm-hmm. it just really that sounds random. about Fresno. Oh, yeah, sounds- really <laughs> random. So by the time I was at the station I was at, it wasn't as one of, of as busy of a 24-hour station as some of the other ones. Um, so yeah, I was pretty comfortable by then. Gotcha. And, I knew I it. and then so you know now this call happens, and um, I'm you know you you say you've had all this experience, and then and this this call hits. So walk us through that that day walk us through getting that call because you know when we get something like that when we're going to it i mean i don't know mm-hmm. about brie but for myself i'm like ah, it's probably not as bad as it mm-hmm. as, as, as it is so was that going through your mind or like where were you at yeah i you know the funny thing is i don't remember i remember the call like it was yesterday but i don't remember much of the day i don't think it had been a very busy day and i was working with she's now one of my best friends um so we usually worked our 24 hours together and we got called out. I remember with the sun had gone down, it was cold. Um, and it wasn't too far from our station. So, but usually fire did beat us there, but it was on a County line, which mm-hmm. kind of made it 
hard for them to figure out which engines to send. So we got on scene within, I think it was a minute, minute and a half, and we were first on scene. Um, and there was a SUV fully inflamed and a guy screaming, and then, then there was the other car and someone outside of the car. So that was kind of my as we drove up what I was seeing. And of course I'm looking around, we're firefighters, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's a fire. I don't know what to <laughs> <laughs> Right. So you're showing up on scene. It's already very chaotic and someone's running around yelling. Were they yelling at you? Yeah. So we get out of the ambulance and this guy comes running up screaming, saying his entire family is in the car that was fully engulfed. And at first, he was so hysterical, I can't understand what he was saying. And I'm zoned in on, because we had pretty much pulled up right next to the other vehicle where the female was already laying on the ground. And so I go to her right away. And at that point, it's just me and my partner still. Um, I remember being, and then he's just yelling, my family, and I'm like, they're still in the vehicle. And he's mm. like, yeah, you know, and he just starts screaming, like, you don't even care about my family. It's your fault. They're dying like just screaming at me and right then I felt a tap on my shoulder because I was just I didn't know how I was trying to focus on the one person I did have and luckily it was one of the volunteers and he showed up and we're still super close to this day because of that call and he showed up and he was you know like what can I do to help and then so then fire started rolling up and he was able to kind of help direct fire with what was going on as I focused on the one patient that I could Save at that mm-hmm. point. So the car is fully involved, and there was just no way to access any of those patients that you didn't even know were in the car. Correct. And um, so the, it turns out the guy on scene was the father um, and husband, and he had been following them. They were coming home from a mm. birthday party. My the one patient still alive on scene um, had ran a stop sign. And, um, so he had tried to go right and it was already engulfed. He had burns all over his hands from trying to get in there, which I didn't know until later. Um, but that shows me, you know, first of all, he, he was right there and he couldn't get to them. But for me, it was hard as soon as I found out there was kids in the car and I'm talking five kids, um, and then his wife and, the way it was, the vehicle, the SUV, one of the SUVs was going this way, and it was almost like a T-bone where hers was, and things were exploding. I could feel mm. the heat, and we're trying to get her to, like, get her to safety for our ambulance. Um, and so even just right there, we're ducking down as, you know, we hear explosions. I don't know what's exploding. I don't know much about fire, even though I've gone through training a long, long time ago. Um, so that was, and then while I'm trying to take care of her, I was just thinking, is there anything I can, like, mm-hmm. I can't do anything. Like, there's nothing, you know, and just, just that kind of, like, I'm just sitting here watching this entire firm family burn to death, you know, mm-hmm. and having him scream at me saying it's our fault. And then um, it even got worse because then he started trying to attack her, mm-hmm. my patient. And um, so we ended up loading her. We're trying to get a helicopter for her. Um, we loaded her, locked all the doors, waiting for um, SO to get there. And they're banging on the ambulance, screaming. I'm trying to, like, just focus on the patient. 
And um, turns out he had called up a whole bunch of people. He was a former gang member. All his friends showed up. So it ended up being a really unsecure scene on top of it where mm-hmm. they had to shut everything down in that whole area and lots of police presence. And, yeah. and you know, that's a once in a lifetime call, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I'm sure, you know, I, I've had a, you know, family in a, in a vehicle burning, but not to the magnitude of what you're describing. Um, so, you know, you have a family that's burning, you have the dad that's outside screaming, and then you add on the patient from the other vehicle, mm-hmm. and then you add on the whole gang kind of scenario, and then you're in the back of the ambulance with the, with the one that they don't like right now and you know all of that added on and then also something interesting you know talking to you about this before was the supervisor shows up and you know when the supervisor shows up what happens so actually the initial supervisor who showed up on scene she was the swing supervisor she was great she um by then the because they had to come from fresno so Mm -hmm. it was about a 30 minute um, code three drive for the supervisor to get to me. So by then the chaos had settled down somewhat. Um, she was great. Uh, the one on scene was great. Um, it was after the call, we did debrief with the fire department and that I think saved me in the end because I was just kind of numb through the whole debriefing and kind of at that point, I still wasn't even aware of traumatized by anything I was just kind of standing there like oh it's cold you know Mm -hmm. and you know and um even some of the firefighters were like I could see tears in their eyes and I just didn't say anything the entire time and finally uh one of them turns to me and says is there anything you want to ask and I said the only thing is if you guys had gotten here first would it have turned out different is there anything different I could have done and they said no like Mm -hmm. even if we had witnessed this the way it went up in flames, all that, they're like, it would have not made a difference. So that, I think, I'm so glad that they chose to ask me because I wasn't someone who would speak up. And um, it just, it, that really helped me with a little bit of a sense of, okay, I did do everything I could, even through all this chaos. Um, so anyways, I was leaving the scene. We were wrapping up the call. My supervisor said, hey, you know, you need anything? I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Mm. And so we head back to the station and I noticed my partner who I had been working, we work usually 24 hours to 36 hours straight together. Um, so I noticed her kind of being off. And so I kept focusing on like, are you okay? You want to talk about it? Like this and that. And she was just like, I don't know. Cause I had to go over and look in the car and she's like, I couldn't even walk over there and look, how are you doing? Cause you had to look in the car. And I was like, you know, I don't know. And so then after that, we were back at the station, like 20 minutes, we get another call. And so we go on this call and it wasn't even, I think it was like a chest pain, something pretty routine. But on, when I was running that call, I was like, I just don't want to make any of these decisions. I think the person mm. was wanting to like sign out AMA. Um, and I was like, I just, I don't want to have any responsibility right now. I can't use my mind. I'm exhausted mentally, physically. Um, And I was just really anxious that even just running a chest pain call, which we run like a million a day. And so we got back to the station and then we got another call. 
and it was just for like a sick person. But once again, I was just, and that's by that time I was just shaking. I just, I didn't know if I was, I didn't know what was happening to me because I had had many traumatic calls in the past, not to this extent, but I've had hard calls and I just physically thought I was sick or I just needed some sleep because it, you know, it was turning into a busy night. And so I called my supervisor by then the one that was on the call with me was gone. So my supervisor um, said, and I explained what happened. He goes, well, so he's Mm. like, that's your job. And I was like, okay. I was like, but I don't feel like I can. And he was like, I said, I don't feel like I can make these decisions right now. I just, I don't feel good, you know? And he's like, okay, so what you're saying is you're sick. You need to go home sick. I was like, okay, if that's what I need to say to leave, then yes, I need to go home sick. And my partner does too. And he was just kind of like, okay, well, I'll get coverage. Just leave then. And I was like, okay. Didn't think anything of it. Um, The next day I woke up with my first like severe panic attack. Um, I was supposed to go to work for my 12 hour. Um, So I had the severe panic attack and I was like, okay, I just need to take a couple days off. You know, um, I have four days to recoup. We'll be fine. So I called in sick the next day. Um, and then when I returned to work the following week, it turns out he had been going around telling other crew members that I wasn't cut out to be a medic, that if I can't handle these type of calls, that I'm in the wrong field. I'm um, just really bashing my name, bashing who I was. And um, it was just really, so it's like not only was I, EMS had that mentality anyways. And so I already kind of felt bad about calling in and thinking I wasn't strong because I couldn't handle this call. Um, but on top of it, you had someone that was supposed to be your superior mm-hmm. going around like gossiping. And that for me was just really hard. And he, um, it seemed like he really had it out for me until he ended up leaving the company. He made my life literal hell from that. You know, Karen, there's so many things here to look at, but I think it's really important to focus is that you had an initial injury, right? You had an acute stress response. You know, you're in shock, processing death anyway, when you emotionally connect to it is hard, right? And that's something we are not taught on how to cope with. Typically, we weren't in our paramedic school. They didn't talk about this. It was how do you read an EKG? What, you know, how do you start an IV? Here's the monkey skills. It was yeah. never, hey, when you come on scene of a critical incident where it's really sad and emotionally driven, um, this is what you need to do. Here's a protocol. You need to go home, right? Yeah. Or you need to find your people or you need to have a peer support group, whatever it is. So you had your initial acute stress and then you had a secondary injury. I mean, truly, mm-hmm. because then you are already questioning everything and now you're talking about, well, now I have to defend what I don't even understand is happening, right? That it's like, I guess I'm physically ill because we don't talk about mental wellness as yeah. part of medicine, right? Yeah. When we call psychiatric patients psychs, right? We yeah. downplay their experience to protect yeah. us, right? Yeah. But when we call each other things like this in the field, you know, we're supposed to be a community seeing the worst things on people's worst days. And then we're telling them to suck it up, which yeah. is what happened. 
Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, you're you're getting emotional now about mm-hmm. it, and and you know, I can tell it's still it's still with you. Uh, yeah. Just, I mean, I'm. Hopefully, you know that it. He when he went to med school, he was in a different era. And I know yeah. exactly who you're talking about uh, as far as the supervisor goes, and you know, he was in a different era. So don't. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm sure you've you've had your bouts with it, but don't let that understand where he's coming from as far as his era. You know, we're in a yeah. different we're in a different era now and, and we take mental health very seriously now. Hence why we have our podcast. Yeah. So yeah. you sharing your story just about this highlights that you are already a seasoned medic. I mean, three years in a busy system is like six years in a slow system, mm-hmm. right? Your chest standard chest pain call, your standard heart attack. I mean, this was out of the norm and honestly, yeah. like she was saying, I mean, this is a a once in a lifetime or once in a career call, right? If we as first responders had to go to these types of calls all the time, nobody would make it, right? So, and especially because there were so many children, young children, a mother, I mean, it had every single dynamic of causing PTSD, especially because you as the paramedic were the, you were the only paramedic and you're supposed to be making all of the medical decisions with that license. So there's a lot, a lot of responsibility. So I think too, processing all that after a call and declaring, you know, the 1144s or the 1055s or whatever it is, right? You're declaring them dead. You know, when you do that, you also take on that responsibility. And so you were there with the BLS fire department, a supervisor Mm -hmm. that initially supported you, and then you couldn't figure out why you didn't want to stay for the rest of your shift. When in reality, your supervisor should have recognized you probably should have gone home. Yeah. No, absolutely. And then, you know, kind of transitioning after the call, you stayed for another two years. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, you you know, I'm, I'm sure there was a lot of back and forth about leaving and whatnot, but you kind of stuck it out, so to speak. Yeah. So why, why did you stick it out? Mm-hmm. What, what, let's talk about that, that space that you mean, it was, it was three years in, you were a medic and then that, then that call happened and then you stuck it out for another two years. Um, how was those two years like? Um, you know, the follow after that supervisor there, I not sure the whole story behind him, if he was fired or he left on his own accord. Um, but the atmosphere started changing as far as EMS in general. Like you said, the supervisor came from, and we kind of came into it at the end of that. You suck it up. You're one of the guys. You don't show emotion. That was just how the medical field was. Mm-hmm. You think or swim. They eat their young. You deal with it. You don't complain. You don't show emotion. Um, after that, the, the next couple years, the company I worked for did start um, like a peer mentorship program. They started doing debriefings after these large incidents. Um, so things were starting to change and I did notice it. And my whole uh, reason, people used to always ask, how can you be a paramedic? How can you do this job? And I said, these things are going to happen anyways. And I feel like I was born to do this. You know, a lot of the times I wasn't a, ever a really hyper emotional person, even though I'm an introvert. Um, a lot of stuff I was able to just kind of brush off or it would just affect me for that shift. And so with this call, that's what I did. I took my four or five days, whatever it was, pushed it deep down with everything else 
that I had ever seen and uh, continued on. And the only reason I knew it had affected me a little bit was because it took a couple days for me to move on. Mm-hmm. When turns out I didn't move on. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that until hormones from babies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and you say, you know, four or five days after the incident, you had your four or five days. It's like, no, like we need mm-hmm. more than that. Yeah. We need, yeah. we need a month, if, if not more, you know, intervention. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and that's not the norm yet. And, yeah. and we're getting there. Um, so, wow i just mm-hmm. that whole that i mean you you describing that call just now i mean runs chills up my spine and um you know so now now let's talk about the post-traumatic growth side of it yeah. right yeah and how how is that now i mean i know you've left the field and now you're going into a brand new field with you know respiratory therapy describe the transition um so actually it was a really hard transition because i wasn't 100 percent ready to not be a medic anymore Um, I did fracture my back, which ended things early. I had already started going back to school for pre-reqs, knowing that I wasn't going to be a lifelong medic like I thought I was going to be. Um, So that was hard for me. But at that time, also, um, I was getting married. And then I had a baby. And um, I ended up with postpartum depression and anxiety. And uh, it wasn't until I got that diagnosis and that just, uh, I mean, that led to a really, really, the darkest time of my life, uh, suicidal ideation to the point where looking back, I should have been hospitalized. Mm. Um, it was really bad, but it wasn't until I was following my family. Everyone was in the car. I was following them in my truck. We were going on vacation and I had a panic attack while I was driving. I just kept imagining watching what basically what that father had gone through. And I had to get ahead of them, just drive on my own. Um, I still have issues to this day. If my husband takes the kids somewhere, uh, something I do have to fight off. I've been to a lot of therapy, um, medication, um, and just the whole nature that, like, this podcast, how people are starting to speak about it and realizing I'm not weak. I'm not Mm -hmm. all those things that people had said to me as I was going into the field. It's okay to have emotion. It's okay to get help um so I was able to spend about three years actually it took me to kind of get back on track immensely to the point where I was like okay I can handle to stay in the medical field because it's something I love um and as RT I mean I I don't think I could go back to being a first responder and seeing the worst of the worst you know at least I'm a little bit sheltered in that sense um as far as rolling up on the 1144s you know, um, stuff like that. I don't, I don't have to see that anymore. And, you know, as, as, as you're talking about that call and about, you know, your, your growth, you're, you're still, you know, you, we, we can tell that you're still holding on to stuff, you know, at that call. Um, how do you, you know, when now those emotions spark up now, Mm -hmm. how are you able to deal with them now than, than, you know, at the time when, when they was all going on or, you know, those two years after, after the call, how are you able to deal with them now a little bit different because, you know, there's somebody watching right now that, that, that just had that call, Mm -hmm. you know? So, so maybe coach them, coach them a little bit, talk to that person and, uh, you know, what what do you have to say about it? So definitely, uh, reach out to, there should be, especially nowadays, I think there's something, there's a peer mentor group within your 
within your company. There's usually um, the debriefing. You can even request for that. Um, for going from there, therapy, and I know we're all pretty resistant to trying that, but talking about it really does help because what I did was just shut it down internally for a long time on top of all those other calls. And it just came to a boiling point where no human can deal with with all that. No one is Iron Man. You know, we all do have emotions down there somewhere, even if we're not the overly emotional type. Except for Brittany. So, yeah. Story. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you just, uh, the, the sooner you can open up about it, the better. Because... Yeah. Then you won't be like me. It's been seven years and I still only talked about it a few times. And so it's still hard for me to talk about and I don't open up a lot about it. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely, it's, it's impacted my life. And um, maybe if I had gotten earlier intervention that I wouldn't have struggled as hard yeah. and it went as deep as I did. Yeah. And, and, you know, you say you've held it in for seven years like that. That is a crazy amount of time to hold something in like that. And we appreciate you coming on mm-hmm. and sharing, you know, that particular you know call, which gets you emotional. Absolutely. Um, so we absolutely appreciate that. And now on to some fun stuff. Yes. So we're getting you on the hot seat now. All right. <laughs> it's called Rapid Fire. So Rapid Fire is uh, five questions. And you have to answer in one word or one phrase, all right? Okay. You get all right? Okay. All right. So uh, we will take over, and they're fun, and maybe one or two are serious, but uh, you'll you'll like the first one. Is it the first one? Yeah, yeah it's the first one. You like the first? I thought of the first. One. Okay. <laughs> all right. Um, so, how do you feel now that it's 2021 that your name is Karen? <laughs> I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I oh. look for the best meme. Oh, hilarious. Yeah. One word. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, are you a Karen? No. <laughs> that was a side follow up. Not one of the five. Not one of the five. <laughs> okay. Question two. What's one thing you miss about being a paramedic? Camaraderie. Mm-hmm. Third question. If you were a ruler of your own country, what would be the first law you would introduce? Be kind. (laughs) Everyone has to be nice. (laughs) Be nice. Be nice. (laughs) Okay. If you could have any exotic animal as a pet, what would you choose? Monkey. (laughs) Okay. And last question. What is one word to describe yourself? Resilient. Ooh, Mm. I like that word. Absolutely. Resilient for sure. I mean, based off that that call and that story, you are absolutely resilient, Karen. And uh, we appreciate you coming on uh, your your strength and telling that story and Mm -hmm. owning it, you know, not letting it own you now. Owning it is absolutely transformative. And hopefully, you know, somebody listening out there absolutely takes that in and then owns that story for themselves. So um, thank you so much for coming on, Karen. And uh, this is Project Mayday. Call out. 